Welcome to the Chip Chats Podcast. I'm your host, Chip Midnight. On this episode, I have a conversation with guitarist Paul Crook. Now, Paul has been playing guitar with Meatloaf's band since 2003. That band, if you didn't know, is called the Neverland Express. With Meatloaf's t- passing in 2022, Paul and his bandmates decided to keep the music and the spirit of Meatloaf's music alive. They are currently out on tour doing Weekend Warrior type dates, and they have also just released a brand new album called Paradise Found, Bat Out of Hell Reignited. Now this is a track-by-track cover of Meatloaf's first album, Bat Out of Hell, but done with the musicians who were in the touring band when Meatloaf passed away. So it's a bit of a reimagination. It's a bit of a modernization of that music. It's done in the way that people would have seen and heard it in Meatloaf's most recent touring. So sit back, check this out. You'll hear a lot about how Paul met Meatloaf, what his role in the band was, and we even tap a little bit into Paul's time in Anthrax. Just, just to uh, to get us going, I got two icebreakers for you. One of which definitely plays into the rest of the interview, but one has nothing at all to do with music or the interview. So, do you drink coffee or tea? And if so, do you have a favorite coffee mug? That's a great question. <laughs> I actually stopped um, drinking coffee a few months ago. But I, I'm not against. When I say I stopped, I mean I made a conscious effort not to drink it. Uh, but I have cheated. Uh, I don't have a specific coffee mug or okay. a tea mug. But yes, I drink tea. When I when I uh, when I saw Black Label Society, um, I had interviewed Zach, and I had given Zach. I'm a I'm a. My wife will say a hoarder. I say I'm a collector. I grew up in New York, and I had a Thurman Munson, one of those little like pins with this Thurman Munson and a baseball hat on, and and it's been in a in a in a box in my basement for forty forty plus years. And I knew Zach was a big Yankees fan, and so when I got to meet him, I gave him the pin and he was very thankful for it and he ended up giving me a, a hoodie and a t-shirt and a coffee mug and so the zach wild black label society coffee mug is the one that i tend to tend to reach for when i'm looking for a coffee mug that's great i um i love zach wild yeah i uh i he blows me away you know i i um when i see him live it's just like what the fuck <laughs> he's like a demigod you know it's just, yeah. just incredible i love his whole attitude uh, his Instagram is the best. I, I laugh my ass off watching him. And uh, he's very inspiring for me. Very, you know, being a Jersey guy, obviously. And he's uh, he's been kicking ass since, what, 87, right? He inspires me in a way of uh, just wanting to be better as at guitar. You know, because he's always, he's always uh, playing and always pushing himself, you know? I admire that. I actually spent some time this morning uh, trying to do the pre-sale tickets for the Pantera tour. I was not successful with that, but I will go for the general on sale stuff that happens later this week but again him having that opportunity you know dime bag is not replaceable but i think he is a worthy person to step into that role absolutely and he sounds great in it fucking amazing exciting so the second icebreaker question and it definitely does play into the interview is is there an album that you can remember or an artist or a song that you remember when you were a kid that your parents would play in the car no uh we didn't have you know growing up uh, there weren't CD players or anything, right? I'm, right. I'm an old man. <laughs> but I do remember my father singing along to uh, Light My Fire in the car. Mm-hmm. And I do remember, for some reason, being attracted to 
a three dog night as a kid, you know, five, six years old. I, for some reason, I love the song Joy to the World. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting in the backseat of the car. My father's playing the radio. But the, re- the, the reason that I think that plays into this is uh, I am 51, so just a little bit younger than you, I think. But I don't know that in the 70s you could escape meatloaf, right? I think I, I have distinct memories of sitting in the back of my dad's car and hearing uh, P- Paradise by the Dashboard Light. And, and you know, I, I don't know if he had the cassette or whether it was in the radio, but I have very distinct memories of hearing hearing those songs in his car. And so, so when, when you, when I don't, like I said, I think you're a couple years older than me, but when you were a kid or a teenager, um, were you introduced to Meatloaf's music? Were you familiar with him at the time or did it, did it take a little while for you to, to learn it? And no, know about it? I do recall being very young, you know, seven years old or eight years old. That makes any sense. No, it wouldn't make any sense. I'm lying. <laughs> Well, wait, wait, let's we can figure this out easily. So that was 77 ish, right? Yeah, I was, I was 11. What am I talking about? <laughs> and I, uh, for some reason I, I can see the album cover, uh, in, in, on, on the living room floor. Maybe my brother got it from a friend, borrowed it. But I remember looking at the cover and going, wow, this is really cool. I might be mistaken with that. I got to check with my brother, Mark on that. Cause it's a good question. I want to know this because. When I'm thinking about it now, my earliest memory of holding a record was actually my brother brought it home. Because my, my brother, he's the one that introduced me to everything that I am, right? Musically, you know, you have yep. an older brother, and that that's their job. <laughs> yeah. So I remember him bringing uh, "Cheap Trick," "Surrender," and I believe that was the first album cover I ever held and looked at. Uh, the first album cover I ever purchased was uh, "Rock and Roll Over," "Kiss." I still love spinning that thing on the floor. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. But back to your question. I, w- I wasn't familiar with Meatloaf. Um, I obviously, uh, you know, w- when I auditioned for the band, I got a phone call from Kazim Sultan, mm-hmm. who at that time was the music director, right, from Utopia. And Kazim was, he played on Bad of the Hell. And he's actually been on every Meatloaf record up until 2010, I think. He's doing vocals on pretty much every record. And uh, he called me to audition. And at that time, I didn't know anything. I... I mean, I was aware of Meatloaf as the man, and I was aware of uh, a few of the hits, but I, I never studied them. But that answers your question. Yeah. No, I, I, I did not have older siblings, but I have a similar story. I had a friend who had an older sibling, and we were in probably fifth and sixth grade, and she had gone away to college and left her records behind. So we used to go into her room and listen to uh, Van Halen, Ario Speedwagon, Journey, Air Supply, uh, kiss the police, all that, all that 70s stuff. And that, that was my education, my introduction to music. Fun times. Yeah. No, it was Kazim. He, did he, I, I swear, did, did he ever play with Blue Oyster Cult like in the last 10 years? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've seen yeah, him. I, Hall and Oates, Errol Smith. He was okay. actually playing with Errol. He was off stage, you know, he was, he was behind the curtain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Kazim's everywhere. He, yeah. He's like a jukebox. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. So, uh, similar to you not knowing Meatloaf's music, when I got the press release about the record and I saw your name on it, like I had no idea that you were connected to the project, but you've been in the project a a long time. Uh, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize your name as one of those guys who looks through CD covers and, um, that's the one thing I miss, you know, having everything in the palm of my hand with Spotify is not being able to look at album credits, but, uh, I'm a, I'm a big Anthrax fan. And so I recognize your name from there. 
Maybe that's the only place I recognize cool. your name from, but I definitely recognize your name from Anthrax. Oh, and you did some stuff with Sebastian Bach. I mean, um, although I don't have the hair, I definitely grew up in the late 80s in the hair metal period and all that stuff. So I love all that stuff. And so in a sense, I sort of consider you to be sort of, uh, I showed some of my pictures to my friends of me meeting bands and somebody described me as being like Forrest Gump and being in all the pictures with all the people. And as I scroll through your Instagram account and seeing all the different bands that you've worked with, Maybe not to the point where like you're on the cover of Circus or Hit Parade or Magazine, but you've been in, you've played with a lot of people. You've got a lot of connections. You've got deep roots in music. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. I, I'm fortunate. I have a lot of friends. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Is most of it people asking you to work with them and join, or do you audition for stuff? Have you sought out uh, jobs or have people come to you for most of this? Uh, yeah. I've always gotten phone calls to audition. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's funny. It, it's kind of a, it's a blessing and a curse when you, when, when you're working with an artist for so long, as I did with meatballs, people, you, your phone stops ringing yeah. for outside work because people always just think you're busy. I used with meatballs, you know, and then they never think to call you. It's like, call me, <laughs> you know, especially now it's like, you know, you, you really want those phone calls to happen, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I, I get phone calls, which is great. I'm working on an awesome project right now with uh, Greg Jufria. Oh, wow. And it is beautiful. Uh, are you familiar with Greg? Oh, His yeah. Uh, I mean, I knew, a- I, I didn't know the angel stuff that well, but uh, um, my, <laughs> you're, you're, re- you're making me recall these memories. My first clock radio. I made my mom buy me a clock, right? Not just a regular clock, right? But a clock that had a radio built in. And I, I honestly remember setting the alarm. And the first song I heard the day after I got it was Call to Your Heart by Jafria that morning. So That's yeah. Great. And, and I, and I own, I own that record and I own what is it? Silk and Steel maybe was the, was a follow up. So yes, I am familiar with him. Yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's an incredible talent. You know, he, he reached out to me about, uh, you know, working on his rap record uh, uh last year and we we're uh towards the end of it but we're not stopping he just yeah. he, he just keeps writing and writing for, now we're writing for motion picture okay and uh it, it's really great great stuff um you know i uh i kind of compared if i can compare it to somebody or equate it to uh something if you could imagine journey you know so so journey has jonathan kane right or had jonathan kane right <laughs> Um, when Jonathan came in, they turned into some, you know, a really amazing pop group, right? He had an incredible sense of melody, you know, different than, than, than Greg, right? Uh, Greg's brilliant. Uh, where am I going with this? I don't know. I guess where I'm going is that, so the, the Jafria stuff that I've been working on is kind of like, if you can imagine Journey, but instead of, you know, Jonathan Kane, you have Aaron Copeland, you know? So it's like this, this Journey melody, but this incredibly intelligent, complex song arrangement you know, yeah. to everything. Oh, beautiful. And he's not even trying to do that. It happens. You know, he's just a brilliant guy. So, so I'm, ha- I'm happy. My, my phone is ringing a little bit, but I needed to ring more. <laughs> so you, you said it, it's a soundtrack thing. So is it going to be released as a soundtrack or is it going to be released under his name or some sort of project name? Or do you have any idea? Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of up in the air right now. I, I think, I think the record will come out as Greg Jufria, but we're going to just continue writing and writing uh, for, for motion picture. There's, um, you know, uh, Carrie Fisher, you know, and Debbie Reynolds, her mother. So you have, um, you have, uh, uh, their son, uh, is it, uh, Todd, Todd Reynolds? 
running a blank here. He's involved with 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 Greg uh, getting uh, the music into uh, motion picture studios. Really helping out a lot. He's a uh, definitely a wonderful guy to, to to Greg. So the other thing that you're working on, and you've you've worked on, and and I I don't know if it's already out or if it's coming out real soon. Is the is the um, what do you call it? The like sort of reimagination or the the uh, celebration of the bad out of the bad out of hell album. Uh, did that take a lot of time to put together or was it something that you sort of had ready to go for a while? Oh, this is a good question. Thank you. We, uh, <clears throat> we looked at the, the recordings as basically a soundtrack. That's all it really was at first. Um, you know, kind of like what, what they did with the Jim Steinman musical bat of the hell. You have a soundtrack, you go to the gift shop and, you you buy the cd and it's you take home what you just listen to it's like a you know it's a memento you know and uh so we 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 did this just so the fan base could get an understanding of what it sounds like you know what the neverland express sounds like with a different singer doing meatloaves you know we, we felt it was important that people heard it so that they could make a judgment whether they wanted to buy a ticket and see it yeah you know that's really all it really was honestly now uh, going back, this is going back four years. We recorded these songs, yeah, four years ago. Okay. But now they're being released. Uh, we had them on our website. You know, they're always a part of our commercials and our adverts, you know. But we went back and we, um, when, when Meat passed, you know, we just like, you know what, let's, let's do something, let's do something beautiful. Let's, um, you know, we'll, we'll remix the stuff and get some good packaging for it, give it some real love, you know, and put it out, you know, and, and celebrate our boss and celebrate Jim's time. Yeah. You know, uh, again, this was, this was four years ago. Meat passed out on stage in Edmonton, Canada in 2016. And he never recovered. He went into uh, a few back surgeries and he had an incredible amount of pain to where we were just canceling tours. And it got mm-hmm. to a point where I was losing the band, you know, being the music director, I was, I was panicking because, you know, the band has to work. You know, we all have families. We have to support so I, I was like, oh, my God, where am I? I, I, I got to get on the road, you know. So I, I just I called me. I called the managers. And I said, hey, I have an idea and I want to do this. So when I want to get out there, get a different singer. And then when meets ready, you know, boss, when you're ready, you just come out, you know. And it was a uh, it was all going to be like unannounced kind of stuff. Um, this way, there's no pressure on him. It was important that he felt no pressure. Sure. So if he came out, say he flew out a day of the gig and two hours before the show, he wasn't feeling it. He didn't have to go out because it was unannounced. The idea was we would just come out as, as our show with Caleb, but that was the idea. And all of a sudden house sites would drop and meatloaf would walk out. You know, that was, that would be the fun of it. You know, yeah. uh, unfortunately he has to do that, you know, cause meat never came out of his, his discomfort and his back pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a very physical singer. He uses, he uses his whole body to sing, you know, so he's pushing, if you have back pain like that, how do you how do you push? I don't even know if I answered your question. Yeah, I'm yeah. No, 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 no. That's good. Um, what do you think about? The, I, I've talked to friends about this a lot. There, you know, I know Kisses. Um, Kisses had uh, farewell tours a dozen times, and legacy artists. I would love to see Ozzy Osbourne one more time. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, with with you know Eddie Van Halen gone, we're not going to see a, a true Van Halen thing. Just interested in your thoughts around this. Uh, something I've, I've thought about is there is definitely personalities and there are people that make 
the bands, right? But but similar to kind of what you're doing, like almost uh, making franchises of bands. Like I would love to see, like I would love to see a David Lee Roth and an Alex Van Halen endorsed band that plays Celebration. But but I would love to see bands for each of the Van Halen records and those bands could always be touring. So I could go see Van Halen one in a small club that I never got the chance to see, as opposed to seeing a 70, 75 year old David Lee Roth who may not hit the notes. And, you know, do, do you think there's any room in music for continuing the kiss name on continuing the Van Halen name on continuing the meatloaf name on and as celebrations in the future without members from the. Yeah. I'm probably going to take a bunch of crap for this, but I, I, I love it. Anything that, as long as it's endorsed by the band, yes, you know, yeah. coming from the estate, if it's endorsed by the band, I'm all for it. Yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, me, me being a massive Kiss fan, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go and check out a show that Gene and Paul put together. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, do that. I'll give a good respect for that because it's going to be great. Yeah. You know, it's going to be great because those guys know what they're doing. Uh, you know, uh, Queen did. You know, Roger Taylor put together um, Queen Extravaganza with with Brian Brian May, yeah. and they they tour through Europe and they're amazing. Yep. You know, so I, I'm all for this this type of attitude, this idea. Yeah, I love that. I mean, um, you know, not similar, but not the similar. Like I've seen Foreigner, and you know, we all know that yeah. Jones plays occasionally, but but man, to see those guys, those talented pros, play those songs. Yeah, all the songs I know, and they sound so good. Like I, I'm like you. Like I, I respect, I, I respect the fact that uh, Mick has endorsed it and he participates when he can. I've seen Lou Graham, and you know Lou Graham's voice is okay; it's not great. But to hear those songs the way that I heard them on the records by talented guys, like I'm, I'm happy to pay money to see Foreigner, even though it's not Foreigner. Yeah, yeah, because it's a great product. Yeah, it's just, it's. That has some um, uh, Jeff Tolson's in that. Yes, yeah. Let me jump back a little bit. You were talking about being a music director, and I've heard uh, I follow uh, Stacy Jones. Do you know Stacy? He's a drummer. Yeah. He was in '90s bands like Letters to Cleo and Veruca Salt, and he is now Miley Cyrus's drummer slash music director. Oh, cool. And. I've always wondered what is a music director versus somebody in the band versus a producer versus like, what does a music director do? Basically, uh, my role with Meatloaf, uh, I can't speak for uh, your friend. There. Is he your friend from Molly Science? I, no, I, I interviewed him a hundred years ago. But oh, okay. That's about the only connection I, I have to him. I mean, that must be a fun gig. She, she's yeah. awesome. Uh, I, I love that girl. For me, uh, in my position in Meatloaf, I'm just basically, a, for lack of a better term, a liaison. You know, Meat would uh, give me his thoughts. He'd call me, and I would just transfer those thoughts to the band. Pretty much, okay. that's all it really is. Got it. You know, getting the band ready for for tour. You know, the, uh, this way the boss doesn't have to be there every day. You know, so you yeah you just you know organize things. Need somebody to you be know. in charge, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's all it yeah. really is. Yeah, it's just you, know, you have the instructions. You just make the work the room. Make it yeah. all get us, make it happen, you know. And then, and then, meet would call me. Hey, the other guys ready? You know, you guys ready for me? Absolutely, boss. Come on down. Or no, no, we need another, you know, two more days, boss. You know that kind of stuff. And and also, again, with Meat Love, it's a little different, I believe, because my music director chair also brought me into business as far as the touring machine, where I would be calling and hiring crew members, uh, management too. 
uh, you know, uh, he would have concerns and I would just go ahead and do things and just present them with answers, you know, th- those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and yeah. you, you sort of tapped into, I mean, it, isn't that, is that how you got your start in, I mean, you were always playing guitar, but didn't you start with, did you start with anthrax? Was that how you started as a, as a guitar tech or roadie or something? No, uh, I started with Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, 85 out of high school, working with this guy, Jack Secret, who was uh, Getty Lee's tech since uh, Farewell to Kings, up until in the very end. And uh, we had a band. It was fun, the Jack Secret Project. Yeah. And anyways, he uh, he said to me one day, we were working, he goes, you're coming to Greece with me. You're going to be drum tech for Blue Oyster Cult. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I was horrible. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I didn't know anything about drums. I just said, I was out there like, yay, yay, I'm in Germany. I'm in Greece. Yay. Oh, look at that girl. Cool. You know what I mean? What the hell did I know? I'm 19 years old. And I, man, did I suck. You know, but I got to tell you, man, the guys were great. The, the, the Blurs to Cult guys, you know, Buck and Eric and stuff. Uh, they were so patient with me. You know, they, uh, rather than fire me, which they could have easily, you know, they saw I was a guitar player. They saw my passion for it and they just moved me. So that, then I became a guitar and keyboard tech and then it all worked. There I, I met Rick Downey, who was uh, at one time the drummer for Blue, for Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. And when I met him, was tour managing Anthrax. That's what it was. So uh, we hit it off. He came down to a Blue Oyster Cult show. That's what it was. And we just started talking. And I remember I got home and maybe a few weeks later, he called me. Hey, Paul, it's Rick. Hey, I just wanted to know if you wanted to come to uh, Japan with Anthrax. That's what it was. And I was like, wow, great. He's okay, great. So we have rehearsal starting next week in New York or something. It's like SIR in New York. And uh, I'm in there. I meet the guys and it's really fun, you know, it's, it's a, a great vibe, you know. And uh, I'm just sitting there, you know, going through changing strings or whatever. And Scott Ian's talking, talking to management and the band. And all of a sudden they're talking about, uh, yeah, so when we, when we got out with uh, Iron Maiden, but I'm like, my head picks up like, Iron Maiden? You know? And so, yeah, so we went out and toured with Maiden for like nine months. You know, it was the greatest thing. I had the best time being a roadie for those guys. That is quite the education. Even even Blue Oyster Cult being thrown into that as a teenager, essentially. And, and yeah, that, that, that was crazy. Um, yeah. The BOC thing was tough because, uh, you know, it, 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 was a, it was a tight budget. Yeah. You know, so I was driving a truck a lot. With Anthrax, I wasn't driving. It was a tour bus. I get in my bunk at night, you know, it was much, much different. <laughs> yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> Were you starstruck when you met Meatloaf? Uh, no, I, uh, he came to Motley, a Motley Crue show. We were anthrax. We were touring at Motley Crue. It was, uh, 1999. It was a maximum rock tour. It was, uh, Oh yeah. Motley Crue met anthrax and we were at the Gibson amphitheater. Right. I don't know what it's called now. I think it, maybe it's taken, it's out now. Universal Amphitheater. I think okay. it, they knocked it down. And uh, Meat's daughter, Pearl, was a backup singer for Motley Crue. Uh, she, was, it was a called, she was called a crew slut. That's what they called them. Yeah. And, uh, we just hit it off. You know, she was always hanging out with us, you know, always in our dressing room. Her and uh, the other girl was Marty. The two girls were great. And uh, we just became really good friends. After the tour, uh, her and Scott continued talking, obviously. And um, they got married, <laughs> and they have rebel, right? He's a great kid. Anyways, Meat was there at the amphitheater to see Pearl, and I believe Scott met him there the first time as well. There's a photo of Scott and I with Meatloaf. Very, oh, wow. Yeah, and that's the first. 
And I, I, I was very excited to meet him. I wasn't starstruck. Starstruck. I was just like, wow, meatloaf. Cool. Yeah. And I ran up to him, you know? Awesome. Uh, being starstruck. Hmm. You know, you know who kind of freaked me out was uh, James Hetfield. Really? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> I don't know why I'm, it's like I, I get freaked out around him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in terms of again looking through Instagram and seeing some photos, are there people that you have not met that you are you are you that kind of person who hopes to meet somebody someday, or is it just when it happens, it happens, and and uh, you're just happy happy for those occasions? Or are there people like my dream? I I actually I did meet Ozzy Osbourne once. He's the first. He's really my introduction to music. The first, the, 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 my friend whose sister went away that I was telling you about, we got obsessed with Ozzy Osbourne and I was uh, working at a parking garage in Cleveland and we turned on the radio after we left. We were in high school and we were getting paid five bucks under the table just to wave cars into the garage. And we get in the car and we hear that Ozzy is at WMMS doing an interview to promote an upcoming show. And so we, we pull up to the station and we wait outside and eventually he comes down and we get a real quick autograph. And that was again, before cell phones, I didn't have a camera with me. And so what, what tour is this? Uh, it probably was, I, I was in high school. It was probably ultimate sin. Uh, was it ultimate? It was, no, it might've been no rest for the wicked mm-hmm. or yeah, it was before no more tears. It was probably no rest for the wicked. Actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Uh, but, but uh, he is somebody on my uh, uh, miracle, miracle man. Yep. yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah, crazy, crazy babies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he is somebody that I would love to, to have a chance to meet in person again for real this time. Do you have guys on your list that you, that you, of course, of course I do. (laughs) Uh, Angus Young, uh, Malcolm Young. I'm so bummed out. I never got a chance to meet. Yeah. Uh, I would, I I would, oh, we've been so excited to meet Malcolm Young, Paul McCartney. I met Jeff Beck, which is wonderful. Yeah. I'm very, very, happy that I, I got to meet him oh there's so many i mean i, I can talk here for an hour about <laughs> who wouldn't i want to meet i don't know i'm kind of scared about i know trent Reznor kind of scares me <laughs> yeah <laughs> i uh i don't know i love that guy i yeah, really impressed with him i would um i would love to work with him trent Reznor. uh i i man i wish i could have met prince wow we can talk about this forever man so going back so when you were in anthrax and playing with sebastian bach those Again, I grew up with that stuff. I love that stuff. But there were some, I would call those sort of lean years for that kind of music. Uh, alternative music was taken taken off. What was it like for you playing with those guys? Was it sort of a, how did, how did they climb back up to the top? Or were, was everybody still super stoked about what wow. they were doing? Whoa, uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I can talk about this for a while, man. Uh, it was tough. Yeah. When I was with Anthrax, it was a tough time, man. There was no money. Uh, we were struggling. Uh, we go back to 1998. I was producing, or just, uh, correct myself, I was co-producing Volume 8, right? And uh, I mean, we had no money. Literally, there was no money. I, I think we did the record for $20,000, which is insane. We got four ADATs. It was, just, it was a machine called an ADAT. We used a VHS tape oh, wow. to record and we had, uh, so we had four of those, you linked them together. So that was uh, 24 tracks, right? And then we had this, it was called a Mackie console. You know, it's eight by 24. It was just like uh, eight outs. It was just minimal stuff. And we had a few good mics, you know, and uh, got a few mic priests. And uh, we, 
went and recorded them. Um, I would, it, it was tough. Uh, literally, I would, when I got to the studio in, in, in Bronxville from Jersey, I would hand in my receipts, my toll and gas receipts. So I had money to get back home. I'm not kidding. Yeah. It was that. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, so when um, I think it was uh, Frankie Bello that said Metallica saved Anthrax, you know, uh, when the big four stuff started happening, uh, I was already gone. I was, I was with meatloaf. Yeah. So to answer your question, I, I never experienced that turn back for Anthrax. Yeah. So I've never worked with them when they had money. <laughs> you know, at the roadie I did when when I came on as a roadie, they were rock stars. You know, persistence of time, persistence of time. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were feeling it. You know, they were excited, and it was there was money coming in. It was a fun time for them. But by the time I was playing guitar, it was scary. Did when when you were with Meatloaf, did you experience any of that? Did you experience the ups and downs of crowd sizes of of venues you were playing in, of hotels you got to stay in? Or uh, we yes, Meat never. Uh, took away our comfort. So the amenities were always tremendous. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a culture shock coming from anthrax <laughs> on the bus with anthrax, you know, 10 days straight without a hotel. You, sh- you shower at the venue, you know, yeah. uh, with people, if you have a hotel every day, you have this private charter flights, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah. You know, so those things never went away, you know, <laughs> great food. Catering on the road, you know, amazing. Yeah. Like a bubble. <laughs> it's amazing time to tour with him. Uh, but yeah, I, we, we did see ticket sale declines later on. Um, up until, uh, so when I joined uh, the first tour I did with them, we, I think we did four Wembleys, you know, sold out. Unbelievable. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it kind of got scary a little bit, a little bit. And we're talking, we're talking about meatloaf terms here. So sure. when I say Gary, he's no longer selling out arenas. He's selling out, you know, two thirds of the arena. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So he's still too big for theaters, but he's not selling out the arena. So that's what I kind of witnessed up yeah. until the very last tour we did. And uh, we did a last at bat tour. We did uh bat of the hell in its entirety. And uh, that tour sold out. That was huge. It was amazing. That was a great tour. And those, all those notes, all those arrangements, those song arrangements, we're, we're using those today. So our, our set list, the way we approach the songs are, are how Meat wanted us to do that. So you're going to hear the live, the live arrangement, the, how the songs developed over decades yeah. when you see us. And, and, and tell me about the show going forward. So um, Bad Out of Hell one all the way through, and then assorted other songs yeah, so or how? We, yeah it, it, when we started this you know uh myself you know i remember talking to john michelli the drummer and randy you know the other guitar player and it's like you know guys yeah so what are we going to do here you know obviously we're talking to caleb because we've got to figure out how he can breathe because <laughs> this stuff is not easy to sing yeah you know it it takes it's a lot of work this stuff so caleb uh, when he when he first joined he was 29 he was having a hard time you know here's meatloaf in his 60s at that time you know um what was that getting at here you know it's like the band we had an attitude we were kind of conf- overconfident you know we're gonna do we're gonna come out and do bad of the hell in its entirety and we're gonna start with bad of the hell we're gonna start the show that way and we're gonna play through this yeah we're gonna rock this stuff and we're doing it and it's not working 
what the hell's yeah. going on here? You know, so I call me. I'm like, boss, I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> and he's like, what's your set list? You know, I tell him, he goes, he goes, come on, you can't do that, Paul. He's like, when have you ever seen me open up a bat out of hell? It never have. You know, yeah. like, again, we're, you know, just, we're great. We're going to rock this out. We're going to, you know, no, we had no idea. Anyway, so the set list that you're going to see or that people are going to see, that Meatloaf put that together. Got it. So you're not going to see Bat of the Hell uh, straight through. It doesn't work. We tried it. It doesn't work. It, yeah. it, I, I love that you say that because I have, I've, I, I, until like the last couple of years, I, I never really thought about the sequencing of an album. Like to me, I was just like, yeah. you give it to me, there it is. I'm going to listen to it. And as I started asking bands about sequencing, I realized what a fine art it is to put the songs at work. And to like what you said, I saw, um, Jeff Tate, uh, do two Queensryche albums start to finish. And there's a reason some of those songs are tracked eight, nine, and 10, right? They're not like the big hits. And so when he's playing, you can tell the audience is there. And to your point, he comes right out of the gate with, I don't know if Empire is the first song on that album, but it comes like really strong out and you're playing all the songs that people love at the beginning. And by the end, you could tell people were starting to walk away and lose interest. And, um, so I, well, I appreciate bands going out and doing, we're going to do our classic album. I, I, uh, I'm a hundred percent in agreement that you don't necessarily have to do it in order because it, uh, in a live setting, it might not, it might not work that well. Yeah. Now on that note, there's no problem with the songs. Every song is incredible. Right. With me, right. So when I look down at the set list, I, I'm always going, oh, wow. Oh, wow. I can't, oh, they're going to freak out when they hear this. Oh, oh, this one's coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, we don't have that problem with Meatloaf. Yeah. <clears throat> the problem that you have is just flow. Yeah. You know, Meat saw a concert like a motion picture. Yeah. He saw, he saw all these valleys. You know, that's how he did. That's how he did a show. And, and I always say this. If you want to piss him off, tell him how to do a show. Woo. Oh, man he'll throw you off the stage you know you don't yeah. tell him what to do you know he's very alpha male you know <laughs> yeah so were you around i think this was before it was was there was a bet out of health three yeah that was before your time no i i played on that okay um i'll yeah, admit that like, was, uh, so when that when that album came out you know similar to like what you talk about anthrax like like i was familiar with one and two um, by the time we reached three i think i was sort of not paying a lot of attention. Um, sure. Uh, so tell me about three. Uh, <laughs> is it worth going to listen to? That's ah, a good record. Um, experience sucked. It was a horrible time. Uh, Meat was miserable. Uh, he, he wasn't getting along with Desmond Child. He was producing it. Uh, he wasn't getting along with management at the time. Alan Kovac, uh, 10th Street Management. A lot of stress, you know. Uh, you know, granted, uh, Derek, you know, um, the, the, these people were working hard. You know, I'm not trying to take anything away from a guy like Alan Kovac. He's working his ass off, you know, it's just a lot of stress there. Meat was just unhappy. A lot of money was being thrown around, too. I think that record cost one point five million. Wow. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, being in the studio, I can tell you that the setting wasn't very friendly. Uh, it was just it's just uneasy. You know, um, I know that John Michelli didn't enjoy it either. Uh and then me came out later on, you know, saying how much he just didn't like the record. It was also stressed there with Jim, you know, me and Jim Steinman were at odds there at that time too. Although it was bad at L3, there was a lot of arguments happening. You know, um, Jim was unhealthy. He wanted to be there. He couldn't get there. And me didn't want to wait. You know, me couldn't wait. You know, this is all 
very time sensitive stuff and you have you have studio time booked you know it gets expensive you, right. you can't just step off you know and and i know that really upset upset in meatloaf he couldn't wait for jim i know that uh, so the record was uh has a dark cloud to me yeah yeah uh, there there are some really good songs on it though yeah. the, the tour itself was uh was very successful very yeah. good. Um, we had a lot of good shows. So let's get back. We, um, was the uh, Royal Albert Hall. Oh, okay. So we'll get rid of the dark clouds and we'll kind of close on some some bright clouds. So the album is, <laughs> like I said, the album's out or it's coming out really soon. Um, it's a celebration. It's really a reflection about what you guys have been doing as a band and kind of the way you want people to hear songs in 2023. Not I, I'm not putting the words into your mouth and I don't think you said a souvenir, but something that they can take, take home with them and hear sort of the modern day version of how these songs are, are created more recently. What, so you've got some live dates is, is the idea to keep this thing going or is it going to be some sporadic when you, when you all have time and can get together or do you hope to, to turn this into a, a full-time gig? We, we have an active uh, manager, um, excuse me, agent, booking agent. Uh, the, it's called uh, the, Company's called Day After Day. Sorry, can't speak here. And our, our booking agent's working very hard. We, in a, in a perfect world, we're out there every weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, we're out on the tour bus for ten weeks. But uh, I just don't. It's just tough now. Yeah, it's so expensive tour. With, you know, COVID's still still here, messing things up. You know, so we basically do. They're called weekend warriors. That's what sure. that's the term. All right, go out on the Thursday, come back on a Sunday. So that's what we do. We, we just try to look for strong weekends. So our, our, our booking agent, day after day, uh, Seth, his name is, you know, he goes out and he just tries to put little packages packages together that make sense financially because we can't lose our shirt. And and uh, so that being said, we have we have some good dates coming in. We haven't posted them yet. We plan on taking this around the world for as long as we possibly can because we believe, we believe in it. Uh, we believe we're doing the right thing. We're doing it justice. We play the hell out of the songs. You know, we, we, we don't cut any corners. We really get the stuff. You know, you know it's funny. You know, he's calling right now is Greg Jafria. Oh, wow. <laughs> calling right now. Let me go do him here. Whoa. Are you there, buddy? That's actually yeah, yeah. Greg That's hilarious. Greg in on this. I don't know how to do that, though. <laughs> how do we do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're worried. The weekend worry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, yeah, we go out and um, we want to tour as long as we can we it's important that we keep people you know keep our bosses you know spirit legacy in people's minds yeah you know get out do it you know and do it right the, the songs know? are the songs are recognizable the songs are yeah. you, you they're legacy songs that are anybody of a certain age um but they also are you know I, I would imagine, and I'm not a 25-year-old kid anymore, but I would imagine you could play those songs for a 25-year-old rock fan, and they still are relevant today. So I think it feels to me like you have an, I don't want to say an endless touring cycle, but it feels like you could play these songs for a long time and, and not overplay them or not overstay your welcome. I think that the songs will carry on for, for a long time, I would hope. No question. We're talking about a record that's in the top five album sales of all time. Yeah. And that'll never change. Cool. I think I've run through everything. Uh, like I said, I am in Columbus, Ohio. And so I do hope one of those, one of those weekend warrior dates, uh, ends up in somewhere in the central Ohio area. Cause I would love to come see it. I never got to see, never got to see Meatloaf in, in live, uh, you know, throughout when he was alive. So, um, but I, I love the songs. And so hopefully I'll have the chance to see those someday. All right. All right. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the thank time. You. All right. Take it yeah, easy. Pleasure. All right. Pleasure speaking bye. with you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paul. I thought it was pretty cool that Paul early on talked about Greg Jeffria. And then while we were talking, Greg Jeffria actually was calling on the other line. Too bad we couldn't figure out a way to get Greg into this conversation, but maybe, maybe someday Greg Jaffier will be a guest on the Chip Chats podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you'd subscribe so you become alerted to every new episode. And I'd also invite you to check out chipmidnight.com, which is a historical archive of interviews that I've done since 1991. I'm constantly adding new interviews from my past to that site, but I've also got a couple tabs across the top where you can see my most recent interviews by year starting in 2021. So again, thanks for listening and talk to you soon.